Let's wind back to 1983. Mario Brothers was released on Nintendo and the first mobile phone was sold by Motorola. At the same time, Scott Cook was watching his wife trying to balance the books at home in California just using paper. Remember, everyone in America has to file tax returns. Scott decided to do something about it, creating a software called Quicken, which made his wife's job much easier. In 1992, QuickBooks was born, and the company behind it, which Scott founded, was called Intuit. Wind forward to today, Scott is a billionaire, and QuickBooks is the biggest financial management software in the world. The reason that they're number one is they make it really easy for companies to take care of their finances, from sole traders to enterprise and growth-minded businesses in between. So, If you want better control and visibility of your company's finances, from invoicing to forecasting, then head to quickbooks.co.uk forward slash secret leaders. That's quickbooks.co.uk forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. There was a minute when we were like, okay, our blenders are going to be smart. Our refrigerators are going to be smart. We were swept up in this euphoria around the, like the internet of things. And the reality has been a, a little slower for being honest. You know, I think, I mean, that's, that's just the truth, right? Um, and so I think that we were a little bit addicted to the idea or the trend. And maybe we weren't thinking enough about the actual, how is this going to change someone's life? That's Jonathan Anderson, co-founder and CEO of CanDo, a no-code platform that helps people build their own products. They're used by companies such as Adobe, Thought Industries and Gorgeous and have raised over $5 million to date. But before that, he failed to make his smart thermostat company a success. From Secret Leaders, I'm Dan Murray-Serta and this is our bite-sized series dedicated to failure. We're doing this because we learn a lot more from failure than success, but we hardly ever hear about it. We're changing that, with the help of entrepreneurs like Jonathan sharing their worst moments. In 2011, Jonathan was a student at Stanford University in a cleantech program. With a couple of other students, he came up with the idea for the clean thermostat company. It turns out that actually if you want to reduce climate emissions, by far the best thing you can do is become more energy efficient. We noticed this trend, uh, which was that smartphones had really taken off. It was really the first time that they were kind of publicly accessible. And it was also the first time that you had a GPS in your pocket that could tell you basically where you were. And all of us were very interested in using specifically efficiency uh, as a way to kind of hit some of these climate targets. The consumer problem we felt was that programmable thermostats were so hard to use. <laughs> it was before we had touch screens. So imagine like you have the little dials and you're trying to like use the, like, the manual to figure out like when uh, you were programming your home thermostat. And so the idea was like, hold on, this is a really, really hard piece of technology to use. <laughs> like none of us actually said this, like the, uh, the technology existed for like turning it on when you were home and off at night or whatever. But I don't think anyone in our actual class had actually done that uh, just because it was one of those things where it's, it should be easy to do, but like, I don't know anyone who had actually been successful at it. Um, we also went to people's homes uh, and we would look at their programmable thermostat and then we would just do a survey, you know, are they actually programming it or not? And no surprise here, almost no one had, right? Everyone knew that they could, no one actually had done it. So we knew that there was a gap between kind of consumer um, understanding versus what was actually done. The core idea that we had was that we could basically use the smartphone GPS to say when a user was or when a customer was coming in and out of their home and then using that to basically figure out what was the profile uh, for when they should heat and not heat the house. Uh, obviously, there were some core challenges with this. For example, like what if you have kids who didn't have a smartphone? Because at this point, not everyone did. Uh, but really, the idea was how do we kind of build a, a smarter uh, home device? 
Um, and it was really, I think there were a lot of ideas around how like the connected home would work, but this is way before, you know, uh, like ring and, uh, like all of these kind of devices were kind of built out. So it was really one of the first kind of prototypes of this type of product, um, the smart home. They set about building the smartphone interface. After securing £20,000 with convertible note financing, they worked with a Chinese supplier to build the programmable thermostat. They were pumped to be at the forefront of the revolution in household technology. Well, oh my God, it was so exciting because we were like, hold on. We knew that the world would change with smartphones, for sure. And we thought that we found this little pocket that we thought would be, have a huge impact on the world, basically, which was... We knew that energy efficiency was super important. We knew that there would be a business here. And we were like, oh, we get to be the people who make it. And so that's really cool. When you have conviction around there is a market here and I'm going to work on that, that's very, very, very exciting. Um, especially because we were like, we were like building out schematics and we were doing user interviews and we're like, this is a real problem. And like that part's very, very exciting, that initial kind of phase up until you get into the point of actually building hardware, which is incredibly painful. <laughs> so waiting for delays for the prototype to come back from China sucked. <laughs> Trying to build an app that would manage it sucked. <laughs> their excitement turned to frustration as they waited for months for their prototype to arrive. I'd say probably about two and a half months of delays. And every week, oh, it'll, it'll come next week. And then it doesn't. And then you kind of sit around twiddling your thumbs in a room, reworking your schematics, which no one cares about. Uh, and <laughs> you're communicating with the development team, who's taking even longer than expected. Uh, and so it just kept delaying, delaying, delaying. And, and as someone who's impatient, uh, two and a half months is a long time. Uh, and just because we were in a Stanford program, people were graduating. Basically, we knew that there was an end date. We had to get this thing shipped in four months and we, we missed that deadline for us. We never got to that point where we actually had a workable prototype that we could then put in people's homes. Um, and so I think for me, the like being half pregnant, if I can use that expression, I probably shouldn't, uh, <laughs> it's, it's really, really, really difficult. Especially because you have high expectations, but then your plans have never met, have never met the world. They don't see real consumers. With the benefit of hindsight, now I understand that actually that's a super early part of the business, but at the time it felt, it felt like the most significant thing that I'd ever done. Three months after they walked away from the business, Google Nest, Google's home automation system, including smart thermostats, came out. The first time I walked in and saw a Nest on the wall, I was like flabbergasted. It was so beautiful. Uh, it, they had they figured out this, um, this basically this circular design. Uh, and it was actually my dad, who's kind of a, a geek when it comes to home tech. Uh, maybe I inherited that from him. And he was so excited to show this to me <laughs> and fit it onto the wall. It was one of those things where they, uh, it was such an early prototype that they hadn't even figured out the wall mount correctly. So it was like, it was very awkwardly mounted on like a plastic mount that didn't actually fit into the wall correctly. It wasn't even level with the wall at that point, but he was just so happy to have it that he bolted it onto our, um, to our, to our house. And I remember looking at that and being like, oh my God, this is such a better version of what I was working on. They understood something so fundamental about the consumer that I just didn't get. Um, and that was kind of a core understanding for me that I had, uh, yeah, I'd been excited about a problem, but I hadn't, I hadn't really dug my teeth in enough uh, to really understand the consumer. And I hadn't gone through the pain of actually developing the prototype to really feel that. Entrepreneurs learn from the failures they make, but some of Jonathan's mistakes were exposed by seeing what a rival product delivered that his product never would have. I know we could have made it further along the path, without a doubt, but I still wonder if we were just playing the wrong game. We didn't, well, A, it's a hardware product, so I think we needed to just have better hardware experience in our, and then within our company. But then I think we also were missing a core way that we create value for customers, which is like design. 
So one important thing is that we were spending a lot of time trying to figure out how do we make it really easy to program and set up, right? How do we make the setting up of the experience easy? So we had a great flow for that, you know, setting your initial hours and your, your, your nighttime hours and like all that kind of stuff. Do you have kids or not? But I think actually we needed to have been much earlier in the process to realize like, what do you care about as a consumer? What's important to you about your, your thermostat? Because I think that we didn't even think that like it needed to be tactile and it needed to be elegant and it needed to be a certain color and a certain... Uh, needs to be metallic looking. Like there were just some things that we just missed, right? Uh, that were much earlier in almost like the um, the consumer's brand expectations. Well, we were very focused on the functionality. How do we make this thing work? Because we thought the core problem was basically how do you help people understand how to set up basically the timing uh, for when they would be there versus when they wouldn't. And then we would basically use their GPS location to suggest them times for when they should basically set it up for. So we we're like, oh, we'll take the programming difficult work out of it. So a lot, we spent a lot of time doing creating schematics, showing people um, wireframes. Here's how you create a programmable day. Here's how you can use your GPS location to help you do that. Uh, but we missed one really, 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 really important thing, which is that literally a thermostat, this old walkie-talkie thing, is going to sit on your wall. Uh, and they're really ugly. And no one cared at that point. Like it wasn't like a part of your home where you would think, oh, I need to make sure to you know, upgrade my thermostat. But it was interesting to see when Nest did launch and they, what they figured out, which was so intelligent, was actually, it was a beautiful device and it was very tactile. You could turn it, you could spin it. Um, so it actually wasn't that the programming was done on the phone, which was our assumption. It was actually done with a beautiful device on the wall. And I think understanding that there's an elegance to something you want in your home and that the consumer who's most likely to want that will have the budget for it, we completely missed that. I think of it now as the Tesla problem. Like, why are Tesla successful? It's not because they're a better electric car. It's because they're a more beautiful electric sports car, right? Like that's, and, and we, and now that's clear, right? Now people understand that that's the right value measure for that, that like it's a, it's a really cool car. Um, but I think, I think because we were coming at it from how do we make this really easy to program and how do we use it to save people money on their energy bill? That's just the wrong, uh, that's the wrong set of values for the product that ultimately was successful in the market. Focusing on a problem is well-known advice for entrepreneurs, but identifying the right problem isn't always easy. Still, failure didn't put Jonathan off. I've worked on uh, this project, this, this smart thermostat project. Um, I've worked on um, a failed startup where we tracked your time and helped you set up um, calendar invites so that you have a, a smart calendar. I've worked on, uh, I launched a nonprofit, which is thankfully still running very nicely on its own or helped launch with a, a bunch of great co-founders. And um, ultimately, Candu, which is a um, which has had a couple of pivots, but is really focused on helping people build um, better software products. Um, so there's certainly been um, an elephant's graveyard of um, ideas along the path. <laughs> I think when you I think when you want to when you want to found a company, uh, often that like seeps into your ego, and it's very hard to not think about these things. Um, but I think that a lot of times people think that um, if you just have a problem that you really, really want, really want to solve, you should start a business. I actually think that's actually not true necessarily. I think um, I think people who want to be founders or want to create stuff, they just want to do it. Like they just they want they they need to do it. It's like it's almost an insecurity. It's like a it's a part of their it's a part of their world. Um, I there's so many good ways to solve a problem that don't involve starting a business. <laughs> you know, like there just really are. You know, there's so many life paths open to you, and this one is really really hard. And like I said, I'm. Pretty far down the path with can do, which is I could not be more happy about the progress that we've made. And it's still hard. And, it, and if I'm really successful two years from now, it's still going to be hard. Um, and so I think there's a, 
I think there's a certain hubris associated with this profession, <laughs> a certain dogmatic persistence. Um, and, but it's really around wanting to, to create something I think that's most valuable as opposed to necessarily being like, I've spent my whole life researching this problem and now I want to, and now I really want to create a business around it, which again, is a great thing to do. It's just, I think, a very hard path. Jonathan Anderson on the reality of being a founder. If you want to share the lessons you learned from your own failure story, we want to hear from you. Email us on hello at secretleaders.com with a few bullets explaining what happened. I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta, and this is our bite-sized series exploring failure, setbacks, and how they impact success. Give us a follow on your podcast app and share this episode with someone who needs to hear it. See you next time. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app.